it's been great to join together uh, as a church family this week in our uh, January week of prayer. And, uh, you know, our Lord said that my house shall be called a house of prayer. And this week, I believe we really did make this house a house of prayer. And uh, I didn't realize when we were putting the work as a staff team into this week how much personally I would need this week myself. And, uh, you know, it takes a lot of preparation to, to do what we did this past week and have different prayer focuses and going around the church and praying. But just coming here every night at 7 p.m., whether it was raining or clear, or whether it was a snowstorm, uh, just to gather together as the church, to pray together as the church, just it set my soul personally in the right place as we entered the year. And so it really was a blessing to me, and I hope for the many of you that were able to participate this week that it was a blessing to you as well. It's good for our souls to spend time in prayer. And uh, I want to make sure that we don't just leave this as a week of prayer that ended on Friday and then just put it in a bottle and pick it back up next January. I think we need to be committed to prayer, both individually and corporately, together. And so, this morning my hope is that you'll be compelled to put a, a rhythm of prayer into your own life, both as an individual uh, and corporately as part of our church family. But here's the thing with prayer, right? We, everyone sitting here this morning will probably say, I should pray more, or I should be a better prayer, or I need to learn more about prayer. We've never fully arrived as like being a 10 out of 10 prayer. We never feel that way. And so I think for everyone here this morning, we have something to grow in and learn in and develop in as we consider a life of prayer. Some of you might be thinking, well, I know a bit about prayer, but I need to learn how to implement it daily. What's a practical tool to actually make prayer happen in my life? And I hope when we get to the application point today, points today, you'll, you'll see that there's ways that you can very practically make sure you have prayer as a regular rhythm in your life. So this morning, we're going we're gonna to go to the place that's probably the best place to go to when we think about how can we, we learn to pray. Because this is where Jesus, as we've just read, answers the question, how do I pray? And then he just basically says to his disciples, pray like this. So sometimes we overcomplicate things, but we're going to keep it simple this morning. Just look at this passage that Jesus shared about, and he says, pray like this. And again, my, if you take one thing away from this today, I'm just hoping that you will integrate the Lord's prayer into your daily life. So there'll be other application points as well, but if you take one thing, pray the Lord's Prayer daily in your life. And I'm just, I'm trusting that the Lord will use this this morning so that whether you feel like you're, you know very little about prayer or whether you're someone who commits to being parts of prayer meetings weekly, that there'll be something for you this morning as we develop. So just what we're going to do this morning, we're going to walk through the passage that was just read, and then we're going to look at some practical ways to apply prayer to our life here in 2024. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to open it up right to the text, Matthew chapter 6. We'll be looking just specifically at verses 9 to 13. The first two verses, 9 and 10, really concern God and his worship. And then the last three verses, 11 to 13, concern us and our needs. And just a comment on the context as well. It was mentioned that this is part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is teaching to a group of people. 
You know, even in this context, Jesus is saying that prayer can be something you do. You go and you do it in private. But we're also remembering he's saying this to a group of people. And he's, the words that he chooses to use, our Father, give us our daily bread. We need to be thinking as well that we're not just individual followers of Jesus. We're part of a community of people praying this prayer together as followers of Jesus together. And then as well, it's, it's within the context of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is kind of taking some of the Old Testament laws and saying this is how it looks like to follow Jesus, to follow me, by living them out in your daily lives. And so he's thinking about what does it look like to live as a Jesus follower? What does it look like to look, be as a disciple of Jesus? So the assumption is that part of what it looks like to follow Jesus is to pray. The first section, again, I think Jesus might be, one commentator said, the first section is looking at, or th this prayer can be thought of in terms of the great commandment. So the first greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So the first part concerns ourselves with loving God. And then the, the us and our needs, we need to think about them corporately in terms of what does this mean for me to love my neighbor? And so let's look at the first part of this prayer together now. Our Father in heaven. As we begin, we see that Jesus, he wants us to address God as our Father. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is constantly using the term Father for God. He rarely says God, referencing God the Father. He's always using the term Father. There's a loving family relationship in this. He makes God as Father an emphasis of his teaching, particularly in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus says elsewhere, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so I think sometimes we can get this like dichotomy of God the Father, you know, God of the Old Testament. He was the angry one. He's the strict one. He's the one that gives all the rules. And Jesus, on the other hand, is the loving one, the kind one, the gentle one, the caring one. But Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So remember when you're coming before him in prayer, you're coming to the one who's gentle and who's loving and who's kind and who has time for you and wants to hear your prayers. If you've seen me, Jesus says, you've seen the Father, you've seen the one who you're praying to. You're praying to a gracious and loving Father, just like Jesus is gracious and loving. It also says that it's our Father in heaven. This speaks to his transcendence. This speaks to his greatness. We're not just praying to a Father who can't do anything about other than listen to us. He only will listen to us, but he can do something about it. You know, Psalm 115, verse 3, one of my favorite verses, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Our God, our Father, sits in the heavens. He does whatever he wants. In prayer, we're coming before him and we're bringing our petitions before him. But he can do something about it. He can change it. If you tell me your, your, your prayer request, I can't really do a lot about it. I can't change things. But God, our Father, he's our Father who loves us, but he's also our Father in heaven. He's great. He's transcendent. He can do something with our prayers. He can change your circumstances that you find yourself in. He's our Father who's in heaven. He's transcendent. He's powerful. He hears your prayers, and he does something with them and causes change to happen. 
then Jesus goes on, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is not a word we use too often. Perhaps on October 31st, we talk about Halloween. It's kind of the same root word, all hallows Eve. Basically, it just means holy. When we pray, hallowed be your name, we are recognizing that God is unique. He's set apart. He's not like us. We need to be reminded of this. We're praying, God, would you be seen in my life and to others as you truly are? You are truly set apart. You're the one who is set apart from all others. You're the one who's creator, not created. You're the one who's sinless. You're the one who's like no other. You see, God doesn't need us to make him holy. He is already holy. This prayer, we are just recognizing who God already is. Jesus, in giving us this prayer, he puts this line in, hallowed be your name. It's because it's so easy for us to forget that our God is a holy God. It is his name that's been defiled in our world. It's other people and us often who don't view him as he truly is. And this happens all the time with things that were once great, they become defiled in our culture. In the late 70s, there was a movie that came out that changed the face of cinematography forever. It was an amazing movie that started a great and amazing trilogy of movies that took place between good and evil in a galaxy far, far away. Of course, I'm talking about Star Wars. The original movie came out in 1977, and it changed the movie world. Three years later, a movie even greater than the first, in my opinion, The Empire Strikes Back, came out in 1980, one year before I was born. Jesus or, came out before. Then, sorry, in 1983, the third movie came out, Return of the Jedi, again, just as the great as the two that came before it. This completed an amazing trilogy. For years, this trilogy was looked upon as one, some of the greatest movies that had ever been made. But then, in 1999, something happened. The name of Star Wars was defiled. Star Wars came out with this movie called The Phantom Menace. George Lucas, for some reason, decided to introduce us to a character named Jar Jar Binks, as if we needed Jar Jar Binks in our life. And then three years later, they released The Attack of the Clones, and it was just as bad as the first. What was once a movie trilogy that was great and awesome and worthy of praise and honor had been sullied and tarnished. Sometimes we need to be reminded of how something or someone truly is. And more importantly, we need to be reminded of who God truly is. Again, we need to be reminded that Star Wars, it's not Jar Jar Binks, it's, it's really it's Harrison Ford as Han Solo. More importantly, we need to be daily reminded that God is who he truly is, not how he's being represented today in our culture, but who he truly is as great and holy and set apart and worthy of praise. Again, so when we say, may your name be made holy, it's not that God needs us to make him holy. It is that he is already holy in and of himself, and he is giving us this prayer so that we would be reminded in the midst of a fallen and depraved world of who he truly is. We want to see 
his name in its holy splendor, and we want to then live as well to make his name known as holy and great to those around us. Which leads us then to what he prays in verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does this mean? Your kingdom come. A few years ago in our small group, we went through a book called God's Big Picture. And in this book, it's, it's kind of looking at what's the big story, the grand narrative of the Bible from beginning to end. And the author, Von Roberts, he writes this. He says, he defines God's kingdom as this. Very simply, God's people in God's place, under God's rule and blessing. So what is God's kingdom? It's God's people in God's place, under God's rule and blessing. We live right now in the time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. We are in the last days. God has sent his Holy Spirit to equip us to proclaim Christ until he returns. So if God's kingdom is God's people in God's place, under God's rule and blessing, what does that mean for his kingdom to come today? How can we work at bringing his kingdom to come? Well, who are God's people today? God's people are the church, so it's us. God's dwelling place is in the church and in the individual believer as well, who in the New Testament are described as the temple of God. And God's rule and reign today are God's people living out his revealed will and calling the rest of the world to live under God's gracious rule and reign. So we are, so God's kingdom coming ultimately will be his second advent when he comes again. But in our day, we, as we pray for that day to come, we live out, living out as God's people, with God dwelling within us and in his church, and, call, and living out his rule and reign faithfully, and calling others to do the same. For now we pray and live in such a way that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Tim Mackey, who you may have be familiar with, he is part of the Bible Project. If you watched any of the Bible Project videos, he's the one that kind of authors those. And he says this when we pray this. What we were praying for is more and more of heaven to take over more and more of earth. For more and more of God's kingdom to take over more and more of my life. For God to restore wholeness both to the world, but also to me as a disciple of Jesus. So at the beginning of this prayer, Jesus is, is rooting us in the story we find ourselves in, where Jesus is restoring all things. In the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, this is what it looks like to follow me today in this day and age. And even then within this, in this prayer, he's condensing it into a prayer that he wants us to pray each day that becomes the foundation and grounding to our existence and that will shape us and form us for the day that is to come. And so we ground ourselves at the beginning with this idea that God is holy and in heaven. He is our Father who loves us. And if we've seen Jesus, we know who the Father is. And it roots us and grounds us then in our daily purpose to partnering with Jesus to restore all things on earth, that his kingdom on earth would come. And so we then transition to the second part of this prayer, which focuses on us and our need before God for daily sustenance, for forgiveness, and for deliverance from evil. So look at verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. 
This request for daily provision, it kind of reminds us of God's provision for his people before in the book of Exodus, where daily he provided for them their daily sustenance in the form of manna in the wilderness. God instructed his people only to take for what they would need for that day. The assumption is that he wanted them to be reliant on him daily for their daily bread. God could have made it different. He could have said, take a week's worth. But then what would happen in their hearts and their lives? They'd enjoy that food on the first day, then slowly they'd forget where it came from. God gave it to them daily so that they would be reminded daily where what they need, their daily sustenance, comes from. For us in Canada, we can easily just kind of go through this part of the prayer very quickly because we, we, for most of us, we don't think about where our next meal is going to come from. We know we have food in the fridge when we go home from church today. And even if we don't, we have many restaurants we could go to and just slip out to a Swiss chalet or wherever we want, um, as Christians tend to do on a Sunday after church. Or even for the younger generation here, they could just be like, Uber Eats, and it's there to my door, and, uh, and I've got it. So why do I need to pray to God for my daily needs? This, this is the case for us. It's hard for us to think about this living in a wealthy Western culture. But this is where we need to slow down for a minute. And remember, where, where does the money that we make from our jobs come from? Where does the ability to work and make a living come from? Who gave me the abilities to do what I do that causes me to earn money, to be able to pay for things? Is that from myself? Is it something that I've only developed myself, or is there something that God gave me that allows me to work? Where do I get the skills and abilities that I have that allow me to do my job? Give us this day our daily bread should not be empty rhetoric. James 1 Verse 17 reminds us, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. When we pray this prayer, we're reminding ourselves each day, where does my daily sustenance come from? And we're asking that God would provide for our practical needs, and that we'd have hearts that are grateful before him and generous towards others. Give us our daily bread. This prayer also reminds us that our eternal needs, like our daily needs, are met by the one who calls himself the bread of life. In Christ, we have a meal to feed our true and greatest hunger. Which leads us to the second part of the us and our needs request, which is that our Father in heaven would forgive us our debts or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. There's something about forgiveness that is so central to the Christian faith that in the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray, it teaches us to remember that we are forgiven by God and we need to forgive others. One of the things that's so wrong in our world today is that people don't forgive one another. We want to hold on to this right we think we have to get even with the one who has offended us. And so one wrong is turned into another wrong, which in turn turns into another wrong. And our culture spirals 
downward till no one's even listening to each other, no one is forgiving each other, no one is caring for each other. And we find ourselves in the place that we're in today. This is where the church needs to be a city on a hill, a light that is a beacon of light to our society, where forgiveness is just part of what we do. It's easy to see this, especially for those that are parents or had younger kids at one stage. It's so hard to forgive. We just, kids just want to hang on to like get back at what someone did to me. But as adults, we're not that different. We're just maybe more discreet or subtle about it, but we still hold on to bitterness and resentment, saying, I deserve to get back at that person. But this isn't the way of Jesus. This isn't the way of the cross. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross. This means that even though we've wronged God by sinning against him, he didn't hold it against us, but he took it on himself and bore it on the cross. He takes our wrongs and goes to the cross so that in that way we can experience true forgiveness. When we forgive others, we don't forget what they did, We know that they've harmed us, but we release our right to get even with them. Tim Keller, he writes on forgiveness. He wrote a great book on forgiveness, if you're looking for something to read on the topic of forgiveness. He says this, Forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering. In forgiving, rather than retaliating, you make a choice to bear the cost. Forgiveness isn't the same as reconciliation. It's not synonymous with reconciliation. Because in reconciliation, it assumes that two people have acknowledged wrong and are forgiving one another. We can't force reconciliation with anyone, but we can forgive others. We can do our part in reconciliation. Forgiveness is something you need to choose to do on your own. As Christians, we know that forgiveness is at the heart of everything we believe. We are staking the fate of our eternal souls on the fact that we have a forgiving God. It is right there at the heart of the Christian faith, forgiveness. Jesus builds on the importance of living a life of forgiving others with the two verses that follow the prayer, which were read for us. In verses 14 and 15, of Matthew 6, Jesus says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's a very tough teaching that we've probably just (laughs) skimmed right over many times. Unforgiveness can damn someone to hell just as much as unbelief. It's not an easy one. Forgiveness, we know this if we've done it before, it's often granted to someone before it's felt by us. We rarely feel like forgiving someone who has harmed us. If we wait till we feel it, it's likely not going to happen. 
We need to grant it to someone first and trust that the Lord will allow our heart and our emotions to follow that forgiveness. But for a Christian, for a disciple of Jesus, living a life of unforgiveness is not an option. Being in constant anger or bitterness against someone in unforgiveness, it's like swallowing poison and hoping that it harms them instead of us. Jesus wants us to know in this daily prayer that we pray, if you claim to be his follower, yet refuse to forgive, you are failing to understand and internalize the grace that God has shown you in the gospel. A key sign that you're truly saved and have internalized what God has done for you is that you're able to accept the forgiveness of God and then you're also able to show that forgiveness to others. Forgiveness is at the very heart of the gospel. And so Jesus wants us to pray this every day. And I would encourage you every morning when you wake up so that you would have the strength and the heart to forgive as we have been forgiven. Which takes us to the final petition of the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or deliver us from the evil one. We need forgiveness of all past sins but we also need assistance in overcoming future sins. In this life, we will all undergo trials and temptations which will, Lord willing, demonstrate the authenticity of our faith as we go through them. God's word tells us that we will be tested as by fire. And our prayer is that even though we are tested, we will not be consumed. Lead us not into temptation is a prayer similar to what Jesus himself prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. In praying, lead us not into temptation, we're acknowledging before God our weakness in our flesh. And we're joining that to the plea, deliver us from evil. Satan's goal is to discourage you and to devour you and to ultimately defeat you. Without the Lord's deliverance, through the minefield that the enemy sets before you, we would be sure to be defeated. Praying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's like it's taking preventative medicine in the morning. It's like taking your vitamins before you go about your daily business. Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one today. And it's a prayer that God surely loves to answer. For in a sense, he's already promised that if we claim his promises, he will give us. We pray with confidence, knowing that God is faithful. It says in his word in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us or deliver me from the evil one. And then this is where the prayer abruptly ends. Somewhere along the line, a scribe added in the words, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's a beautiful ending to the prayer, but it's not in the original manuscripts. The wor- those words are similar, though. They're biblical words in a sense. They're similar to a prayer of David in 1 Chronicles 29.11. But they are not part of what Jesus said in Matthew 6. 
In the original language, the first word of the prayer is Father, and the last word is Evil One. This prayer structurally reminds us that we are living somewhere in wanting to follow God, but also being tempted by the evil one. And here is the prayer that our Lord's given us as we fight this battle to follow and love our Heavenly Father. So we misuse this prayer each day as a cry for help. Help me, Lord, today remain faithful to you. And so before we close, let me just offer you some practical application. I'm hoping this is really helpful for you as we start 2024 and you say, I would like prayer to be part of my daily rhythm. The first thing I'll say is this. It's very simple. It's the one I said at the beginning. Pray the Lord's Prayer in your daily life. So sometimes we overcomplicate things. We think we need to have these like long, crazy prayers, and that's the way to live a holy prayer life. Jesus just says, this is how to pray. And then he just writes it out for you or speaks it out for us. So I think we can pray it and we can recite it daily as it's given to us. But I think we can also recite it, personalize it, write, rewrite it in our own words along those themes that were mentioned. But I think we can also recite one line and then pause and personalize it. So perhaps you could say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then instead of going on in the prayer, Take a moment to pause and then just kind of ad-lib before the Lord with that prayer. Once you're done your first petition, you move on to the second. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you pause. You say, today, Lord, let me live for your kingdom purposes. When I'm at school today, may I live with you in mind. May I be a light to other students rather than other students drawing me away from you. Or when I'm at work today, let me live that it would be your kingdom that I'm concerned with. Not the kingdom of my business, not the kingdom of my own financial wealth, but your kingdom come. So I think one application point is that in the morning, you wake up and just write out this prayer, recite it, ad lib in within it. And you could even pray it multiple times during the day. But pray the Lord's Prayer. I think it used to be something, and in other traditions, it's almost shared each week. And then we as maybe Baptists or Evangelicals, we've kind of moved away from that. That's too formal. But instead, we've just been left with like almost never praying it. So pray it daily, personally. The second thing is pray the Bible. And this is similar to what I mean when I, what I did with the Lord's Prayer. You read God's Word slowly, and then you pause after every few verses and just pray the thing that the Lord brings to your mind. So it's combining scripture reading with prayer. Instead of just like whipping through three chapters of the Bible without pausing and really reflecting on it, you're reading a line and then you're pausing to pray. So for example, one of the best places to do this is in the Psalms. Psalm 1, it opens up, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits at the seat of scoffers. So instead of going to verse 2, you just stop and you pray, Lord, I pray that I would live a life of one who's blessed. Help me not to walk, sit, or stand with sinners in a way that would cause me to be drawn away from you this, this day. Psalm 1 goes on, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Lord, I pray that my delight would not be in the things of the world, but my delight would be in the things that come from you, and my delight would be in your word. May I be like this person from Psalm 1, and that my mind would be on you all day. 
And you could pray this for yourself, but then this is also a great way to pray for your loved ones. You're thinking, what can I, as husbands, I want to pray for my wife. What could I pray for my wife? Well, that I pray that my wife would be one who delights in your law and that she would meditate on it day and night. You can pray that for anyone in your life. So you're using scripture to ground your prayers for people that you're desiring to pray for. The third thing, schedule prayer three times daily. This is very practical. Praying three times daily is something that we learn that Daniel practiced. In Daniel 6, you'll remember a law was enacted that said for 30 days you could only pray to King Darius. And anyone who didn't pray, or anyone who prayed to anyone else, uh, would be imprisoned or thrown into the lion's den. In Daniel 6, verse 10, it records Daniel's response. It says this, Now when Daniel learned that this decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. Prayer three times daily was part of Daniel's daily routine. So what would this look like perhaps for you? It's a prayer when you wake up. It's a prayer at midday, and it's a prayer before you go to sleep. So perhaps one potential practice you could implement is just, and again, they're very simple prayers you could offer. Orient your day in the morning with a prayer like this. Heavenly Father, I was made to live in your presence. May this day be one I spend with you in all that I do. Amen. And then you set your phone so that it goes off at 12.30 p.m. or 1 o'clock, whatever time is midday for you. And you just step aside from whatever you're doing and you pray this, Jesus, I was made to join with you in your work in the world. Please order the rest of my day in love for, these peop for the people you have given me to serve. And then at night, before you go to bed, you rest in the Lord at bedtime. Heavenly Father, I was made to rest in your love. May my body rest in sleep, and may my mind rest in your love. Amen. Simple prayers like this, three times daily, just give you structure to your prayer life. And these three simple prayers are a lot better than long-winded prayers that you actually don't pray. So pray three times daily. Just examples of things you could pray. Number four, prayer habit stacking. I mentioned this a, a couple years ago when I was uh, preaching uh, on Daniel. And a few years ago, I, I learned a simple but helpful principle called habit stacking. It just teaches that one of the best ways to build a new habit is to identify a current habit you already do and then stack a new behavior on top of it. So for example, I gave the example of something that I've applied in my life. I brush my teeth every day, you'll be glad to know. Twice, actually. Once in the morning and once in the evening. So in the morning when I'm brushing my teeth, I pray for my wife, Vanessa. And in the evening, when I brush my teeth, I pray for my sons. Years for, for years before this, I've always wanted to pray for my family. And I know that as a husband, I'm supposed to pray for my wife. And I know that as a father, I'm supposed to pray for my kids. But I would never do it consistently. Attaching it to brushing my teeth means that as often as I'm brushing my teeth in the morning, I'm praying for Vanessa. And as often I'm as I'm brushing my teeth in the evening, I'm praying for my sons. So what could this look like for you? You could just borrow mine and take that and do that. That would be great. If you're the type of person that brews a cup of coffee in the morning, as soon as you hit start on that machine, however you do it, who will you pray for? Pray for your church leaders. Pray for an unsaved family member. 
If you, go, if you commute to work each morning, I'm guessing that you sit down in your car and you turn the ignition. When you turn the ignition, that should turn something in your brain to pray for someone. You could do any of these things. There's a million things that you do every day. Just stack something with it with regards to prayer. Maybe it's, you're going to pray the Lord's Prayer when you turn the ignition. Before I drive to work, just going to pray the Lord's Prayer in my car. Prayer habit stacking, it's been very helpful for me of just like applying prayer into my daily life. Number five, pray without ceasing. So we see in 1 Thessalonians 5, this verse that says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So what does it mean to pray without ceasing? I just think it means that we need to take time to just bring things before the Lord as they happen. So if we've got these structured times of prayer in our life, then we add in the prayer without ceasing as we respond to what happens in life. There was an illustration I heard this week, um, and actually it hit close to home because I felt like the guy in this story, but there's a man who's been married to his wife for 10 years. They've lived in the same house for that amount of time. But whenever he's putting stuff away in the kitchen, he always forgets where things go. So his wife's there, where does this dish go? Now that we just put it away, probably 30, 40, 50 times before. Still can't remember where that dish goes. I'm not sure if any husbands or wives relate to this. Have to ask the question. And in, uh, in this illustration, the wife gets frustrated. You always ask me this, like, what would you do if I wasn't here? And the husband, well, I'd just figure it out for myself. The point is, is that when the wife's there, he, the husband's living knowing that she's there, so it's just easy to go to her. Do we really know and believe that the Lord will never leave us and forsake us, that he is there with us wherever we go? That we just, in the same way that the husband goes to the wife with that question, because it's easier and he'll know what to do, because she'll be able to tell him, that knowing that when we're out about in our day-to-day lives, the Lord is there with us. Why are we trying to put things away ourselves when we can go to the Lord with them first? The Lord is with you. Lack of prayer demonstrates that maybe we don't believe that the Lord's actually with us. Finally, as we close, pray together with other believers. This was a great week of prayer. Again, when the Lord cleansed the temple from those buying and selling in the temple courts, he overturns the tables and declares, my house shall be called a house of prayer. We as the body of Christ are the temple of God. We are supposed to be a house of prayer. Again, this has been a great week, but I challenge you to meet together with other believers for prayer this year. Again, we have various opportunities in our church uh, family. Uh, we have Wednesday evenings here at 7 at the church. A group meets in, uh, in the cafe. We also have Thursday afternoons at 4 p.m. There's a Zoom prayer meeting that meets to pray for revival. We have regular concerts of prayer where we gather together as the church. And weekly or bi-weekly, you meet with your community group. Make sure prayer is a key part of what you're doing together. And again, another opportunity was mentioned in the announcements next week at Blessings Christian Fellowship, gathering with other Christians in our city to pray. Pray together this year with other believers. Speaking to God as our Heavenly Father is not something we have to do. It's a privilege that we get to do. God has not given us the Lord's Prayer because He is lacking in any way. He's given it to us because we lack and we need to come to him every day. He's given prayer as a gift, as a way of connecting us to him. And the Lord's Prayer was given to help us orient ourselves each day 
around Christ and his kingdom purposes. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this prayer that you've given us. Lord, I thank you that it's not a burden that you've placed on us, but that it's a gift you've given us, that we would be able to commune with you each day in prayer. Lord, I thank you for what's already taken place this week as we've gathered together as a church in prayer. And Lord, I pray that it just wouldn't stop there, Lord, that, but that you would put it on our hearts and minds to pray together with other believers and to pray just individually before you each day. God, I pray that each person here would have just one of these application points to put into their lives so that they might commune with you more closely in 2024. Thank you for your love and care for us. In Jesus' name, amen.